Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with Lewis. Say hello Lewis. Hello there. How are we doing? Very well, very well. Enjoying the hot summer air through the nice insulated room that is my vocal booth. So... <laughs> So uh, while you're sweating away swigging water, we'll talk about what we're going to review on today's podcast. Uh, so on today's show, we're going to do a couple of anime. That, um, these were TV specials, the Sangakushi 1 and Sangakushi 2, Men Who Race Across the Heavens, uh, to give it its literal title. Uh, these were based on a Chinese novel called The Romance of the Three Kingdoms by Zhao Dahuang. That was first published in 1924. If you go on and have a look at Wikipedia, you'll see that there's lots and lots of adaptations of this, um, Chinese and Japanese made. It would appear that the Japanese were quite sold on this sort of historical story. Yeah, um, it did. Uh, it, did it did ring a lot of uh, familiar bells when I was watching it. Oh really? Yeah, like I was like, I swear I've seen this before. Like not the actual rendition. Yeah, but yeah. the story. Yeah. Well, if you go on, like I say, and have a look at Wikipedia, you'll see that there's been Lots. I mean, there must probably about 40 entries. There's been TV, films, there's been manga, and there's been various anime adaptions as well. Mm. Uh, so in addition to these two TV specials, there was a 47-episode TV series that was produced in 1991, and then there was a trilogy of films that was released between 1992 and 1995. We will review those at some point in the future. John Woo also did a two-part film called The Red Cliff, uh, which was released in 2008. Uh, there was even an SD Gundam release that came out in 2010, I think like a 50 episode SD Gundam version of this story. So it's something that's been, you know, well told not, many, not many times. Not the Dynasty Warriors games. Dyni- oh, okay. That's based on this as well, is it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. I, so. I mean, there's been versions of this made in like the 2000s, in the, I think even this decade, there's been an anime adaptation of this story. So, you know, a, a very well sort of trodden path and you know a story that's been you know sort of uh described and told in in many many formats i mean i've actually seen the first one before the first special i saw it originally on a vhs fan sub in 96 but to be honest i didn't really know what i was watching at the time it was on the same cassette that had something else mm. and um it, this sangakushi was on after what well, i can't remember what was on before it and again i think the translation described translated the because this is actually called record of the three kingdoms yeah and it was i think it was translated something slightly differently and i I could never quite remember what it was until i saw (laughs) actually orphan fan subs who fan subbed a 1080p web rip of this Mm. um (laughs) when i saw the the shots on their blog of it i was like ah actually that looks really familiar and then having watched it again it looks you know i remember seeing it but i've never seen the second one so that that was new to me and and of and these are both first views for you, yes, Lewis, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it would be my first time viewing these. Yeah, interesting so I, pieces. Yes, yeah. So we'll we'll get into that. So 
the background. So Sangokushi and Sangokushi Tenkakeru Hideyatachi were TV specials from 1985 and 1986 respectively. The chief director was Daikichiro Kusubi and the director was Tetsuo Imazawa. Music was by Takio Watanabe and the character designs were by Hiroshi Wagasuma. The animation production was done by Shinye Animation. Kusubi, he did a couple of bits. He was kind of mainly like animation director. This was only his kind of chief director role. Imazawa had quite a long and prolific direction career. He did uh, Godmars, uh, you know, a very well-known super robot TV show a few years before these. He did baseball series in, in the late 70s. I mean, he had quite a long, I say, a long and prolific career. Uh, Watanabe actually did the music for the original Gundam TV, so, you know, he's he's got quite a good pedigree as well. Uh, it's never been licensed in the West, but as I said, Orphan Fan Subs, a pillar of the fan subbing community, and have released lots and lots of interesting OVAs that... We would never ever have seen the, the light of day in English. Uh, they released both of these specials on uh, last year, so they're both readily available if you if you want to go and check it out after uh, after listening to this podcast. So a brief synopsis: Soso wants to rule all of the three kingdoms and will stop at nothing to get what he wants. Lu Bei is the young nobleman who must stop and maintain peace among the three kingdoms. So named after you, Lewis. Yeah, Lu Bei. <laughs> In me doing the thing I do best. <laughs> Strategy games. <laughs> so we're going to review these together because essentially one follows directly on from the other. So we'll kind of review them as a pair, but then kind of sum up them as individual films and rate them individually and whatever mm. at the end of the review. Because, I mean, essentially the, the crew that made the first one went on and made the second one. So, uh, you know, the story is a direct continuation. So, so what did you think, Lewis? Um, I think, you know, it, it lends itself to the quality of the source material. So the story's there, the characters are sort of, you know, they're all well-developed and likeable. My main issue was, like, you didn't really... If you don't if you don't know the tale of the Three Kingdoms, or Romance of the Three Kingdoms, then you're kind of just thrown into the semi-deep end, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you don't under uh, you don't really understand what's driving uh, Liu Bei, uh, Zhang Fei, and Guan Yu until like I think it's exactly thirty minutes in. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, remember now that we're in this near death situation when we all made that oath in the peach orchard, yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, so this is the reason why they're all sticking together. <laughs> so it's like, okay, now I understand that. that so that's like the um, you understand what ties them all together rather than just happen circumstance. Yeah, I thought I thought the first first thirty minutes it was hard for me to get into, personally. Like I was like, okay, cool, lots of stills, uh, lots of like you know shifting, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, fight scenes and stuff like that. I get that. Um, I didn't I didn't feel like the quality of the animation was good until the last thirty minutes of the movie, like starkly contrasted. Oh really? Yeah, I thought as soon as uh, as soon as the scene changed to uh, Shushu's forces uh, going across the water uh, on approach to the Wu Kingdom. I feel that was the changing point where the animation suddenly gained a lot more noticeable quality than it had for the first hour. I mean, I think the animation's really good in this. I think in in many respects, it's kind of like... And I, and I kind of got this kind of right from the beginning, but it feels like almost... It's like there's so much animation in this film because it doesn't skimp on any cells... You know, no, all the all the crowds are, are really active. There's no sort of still shots of 
Um, I know there's like some steel pans and stuff, but well, there's a lot of that. reused like oh, wait, obviously you would like there's like all the background scenes of the fight scenes. Mm. It's like the same three um, people like duplicated and run through yeah, this yeah. loop animation loop. So like I didn't really feel like anything really stood out to me animation wise until they got to the establishing scene of Shushu's forces on on the water because then the the, the the light was yeah. off of the the water. You had uh, a lot more color play. Um, flags were waving in the breeze. Yeah, uh, I, I, that was the one minute when I was like, "Oh wow, okay, that's the you know, that's really high quality." Um, and I did think you know the, the rest of it was high quality, but I just I don't know. There were they, it had its moments. I guess the key parts where you know the the, the avalanche and all that. There's a lot of yeah, moving, yeah. A lot of things are moving on the screen, so it's high quality. But it wasn't it wasn't very punchy until then for me anyway. Last. Oh uh, okay. Yeah, I mean I I you know if we talk about the animation a bit. You know, I did think like there was so much effort gone into it. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's quite simplistic because it's, you know, it's old fortresses and you know, sort of just horses and men. But whenever there's a scene, a fight scene or something, there's lots of people moving in the background. You know, there's you know the amount of cells that must have gone into producing all that movement because yeah. crowd scenes and battle scenes are full of people sort of constantly moving like you say in shots where people are running past yes it's an animation loop um, but even those loops have a lot of movement in them yeah um, yeah so there is a, an astonishing amount of kind of detail and, and movement in there i enjoyed these films i kind of feel the second one kind of went off the rails right mm. at the end which we'll come on to but yeah. um i mean again it's a story that i'm not kind of overly familiar with i thought it you know, it. I enjoyed it. It it told a really interesting story, and you know, it was kind of quite pacing. These are basically two ninety-minute movies, so you've got three hours of screen time to to tell this story. It got off to a good sort of full-on start. You know, there was a you know, it starts with a, a violent and brutal battle scene, and you know, and it's got this sort of panning shot that shows the aftermath and all the bodies lined mm. up and everything. Um, I think it's really intriguing the way it tells it because there's this constant ebb of power as Liu Bei and So So and uh, Sun Quan all fight and conspire to rule the lands. Yeah. I think that plays out really interesting because there's so much backstabbing and yeah, conspiracy intrigue. and whatever yeah. intrigue. I, I mean, I thought that that was quite engaging at times and I think it was reasonably well paced. There wasn't a lot of dead time. No, no, it definitely trucked along. That's what I meant. I mean, when I said the style, like lends itself to the source material. It definitely yeah. has that going for it. That um, the, the source material is so good, in the, that it, it keeps the story going, and the adaptation of it mm. does it does it like justice. Doesn't beat around the bush. It's like right now, Lubo's going to do this. Right, there's an immediate action, like a, a retaliation. Ninjas are popping out of the snow. Yeah, uh, he almost gets killed. <laughs> right into this makes him more of a man in this way, and it's like okay, cool, because it, it hops along the story beats really nicely. Um, and I do feel like the each time it changed somewhere, the set pieces are, are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really well put together. And it doesn't like get let you get too attached because it's like, right, now he's got this master strategist on side. Yeah. And he's going to keep pulling new and interesting ways of... Like, like the, the the story will pose a question and then you, you're like, well, how is he going to solve that? And then the strategist comes up with a way that's like interesting yeah. and unique. And you're like, well, yeah. well damn. Um, yeah. so that kept you it kept it really interesting and fresh i think yeah yeah because it's i mean it never feels rushed and it there aren't really any sort of dead spots in it either so 
I think it I think it works kind of really well. And, and as I said, it's you know there's lots of action. There's quite a bit of mystery. There's ingenuity, as you say, from the the strategists. Um, there's skullduggery and treachery in it as well, as I said, because there's a load of backstabbing. So, and the way that all plays out, I th- I just think that was you know really interesting and and engaging. And it kind of you watch the first one, and it, as you said, it ends in this big battle, um, and then sort of takes you into the next one. I mean, I think the second one kind of feels like it's there's more in the second one. That does contain a bit more in it, I think. Yeah, I mean, because a, bit a lot happens in it. Yeah, because it, it kind of just it, it does hit a hop, skip, and jump along. Yeah, uh, it's like it's like one minute they're like we're going to build a fortress here out of ice, and then yeah. it's just like two hours later, and they've got yeah. this <laughs> Massive. gigantic yeah. Like, yeah, and it's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they cut all those trees down to build the the mould for the water, and yeah. you know, I mean, there are little bits like that that yeah. that do stretch credibility a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, like, I, I think it's it's fine if it reasonably like shows a time skip, um, yeah, in like a cutaway scene, but it doesn't really add a cutaway scene. It goes from, um, I mean, we're here talking about the second movie at this point, but it goes from. Uh, Liu Bei on the mountain mourning the death of his friends to immediately having the, the wall yeah. there scene. So it's like there's no cutaway to the Wu Kingdom, let's say, yeah. where like, it's, there's a, a reasonable expectation that an ellipses of time has gone past. No one mentions it. It's just straight yeah. into that. So it's like, well, how you haven't got really any concept of how much time has passed. Whereas the first movie does that fairly well. Yeah, because there are time skips obvious time skips in this film yeah um and i think it integrates and sort of shows those time skips really well but yeah like you say in the second one i think it because it crams that bit more in and i think i think the pacing's still pretty good but yeah that one does feel a bit full and i think again we'll talk about the ending in a, in a minute but i think that kind of leads to the part of the problem with the ending mm. Well, you referred to the strategist there, and and that's a bit of it I quite like because there's this real emphasis on the strategists trying to outstrategize each other. Yeah. Um, and there's some brilliant scenes that that really kind of um, add to some of that mystery. Um, there's a great bit where they have to change the wind. Um, yeah. And he's just being clever, but he, he uh, Kong Ming, the the strategist for Liu Bei, sort of dances it up as a as a spell and. And yeah, it's, it's something sorcery. magical, a sorcery, yeah. Um, no, well, the winds just change. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the way like stuff like that plays out really well. And when he gets challenged by Sun Kwang to get the arrows, um, and basically he steals them from yeah, yeah, from the them. from Soso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show, show. It's just the way that yeah. So it's like genius. Oh yeah. Uh, how about a thousand arrows by morning? He's like, how about a hundred thousand? And then just uh, goes and pulls this big. <laughs> Yeah. Big peen play. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's like it's like yeah, there's, it's nice to have a like um, a character there that's like so much more vast, clearly vastly more intelligent than the rest. Yeah, um, yeah. He's like, I mean, it's called it's basically like Lu Bei's quest, but yeah. you know, the real star of the show is Kong Ming. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. He is definitely the uh, star yeah, of the show. Yeah. Because he, it, I think the front man is that, that Lu Bei is just a. a a good face for the kingdom um, and a good idealist and Kong Ming is just sort of the uh, the master the craftsman behind him yeah in that regard like I think uh, 
in terms of like character relationships, naturally everyone goes and does whatever Kong Ming says without questioning him. Yeah. Um, but like for the other characters, Kong Ming sort of exists as a as an outside anomaly because of that. He's just like the all-seeing eye, um, pretty much like he might as well be an object that just prophesizes things um, because he's just never wrong. Yeah. He basically exists as he is plot armor, the character. Mm. Um, he's never there, yeah. but he's always orchestrating everything. Yeah. Um, the puppet master of the whole thing. But then, like, the actual character relationships are probably strongest, not with Lu Bei, but with, like, Zhang Fei and Guan Yu. Yeah, yeah. Their principles, like, Lu Bei's principles are clear, you know, broad slate. You can go, oh, yeah, I totally identify with those. But Zhang Fei and Guan Yu are much more dynamic and flawed. Yeah. Like, um, mm. Zhang Fei is 100% more. Uh, passionate and impulsive. Yes. Uh, Guan Yu is, uh, you know, he's a, a loyalist warrior who's, you know, stands, stands behind his, his craft yeah. uh, and his principles. So he's like, their weaknesses lie in their impulsiveness and his principles because Guan Yu lets someone go, but then, you know, ends up, I guess, fighting alongside him at the very end. when uh, it's Yeah, his... yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I think the characters really are what make this so watchable for me. Yeah, for sure. I don't um, think it would be watchable at all if, it, if I didn't like the characters as much as I like the two supporting leads, like Zhang Fei and Guan Yu. Yeah, because I think the comradeship between Liu Bei, Zhang uh, Fei, and uh, Guang Yu is really, really good. You know, they have this oath and they fight, you know, this thing to die on the same day together. And through the two films, as you say, they kind of they go back and forth. They're always by Liu Bei's side. And then they kind of face their own battles and trials and tribulations, and they, mm. and you know, and they, and it doesn't quite work out how they planned, you yeah. know, everything to go. And and the way that's portrayed, I think, is really, really good. And and the rivalry between Liu Bei and So So uh, is really, really good as well. The two people who took a different path, sort of thing. Yeah, because you know, Liu Bei is this uh, sort of he's a farm boy from noble stock, basically. Yeah. And so-so is this sort of bastard child um, of an outsider with a massive chip on his shoulder um, who wants power and glory and wealth at all costs. Mm. Um, So that, you know, their sort of differing perspectives and objectives constantly clash, uh, which is, you know, which is quite good. And then you've got people like Sun Quan who, you know, he's just kind of looking, he wants to gain more power, but he's a bit lazy and he's... And he's a bit more treacherous. He'll, he he will stoop to uh, any depths to get what he wants. He's not really as chivalrous as the other two. Yeah. Um, who, are, who are much more, you know, sort of will stand up and fight rather than stab someone in the back. Yeah. And then in that as well, with So-So, is Eugene, you know, this sort of fierce female warrior who has a, a real sort of unrequented love for So-So and you know, kind of ends up really sacrificing herself for him at the end of the first film. And, you know, all those character interactions, and they all interact with each other as well. I think mm. it's just that bit is really, really well done. And because the animation quality is really good, like the expressiveness and the expression that you see on their faces, yeah, um, you know, that that's fantastic, that is. Yeah, it definitely is. I did, I did want to say something about... Uh... Oh yeah, no, that's what I wanted to say. The, the characters' flaws uh, are the one things that end up getting them killed. Yes, yeah. Like that, like uh, Zhang Fei's um, impulsiveness and, and passion yeah. gets him killed. 
uh, Guan Yu's uh, his sense uh, of duty to protect. Yeah, his sense of duty and his uh, principles get him killed. He gets yeah. killed by someone who has none. Yeah, you know, uh, or you know, poisoned to, yeah. by someone who underhanded tactics. Yeah, you know, Eugene, her weaknesses. Uh, so so yeah, uh, she ends up sacrificing herself to felt for him. Um, it's all yeah. It's all messed up, really. Yeah, because the love stories in it as well. We've, I know, we've just talked about Soso and, and Eugene. Because um, I love the way her jealousy is portrayed. I mean, there's a bit where Soso grabs this dancer and sort of takes her to bed, yeah. and she's she's really really jealous. And there's an, there's another bit where uh, uh, in the second film where a female kind of shows his interest in, or I think it might be uh, Li Hua. Uh, he, he, yeah, he he kisses Li Hua That's when right. she's up. Yeah. Yeah, as a as apartheid sort of thing. Yeah, um, and she like detests it and goes in to kill her in the end. Yeah, doesn't. I mean, there's there's stuff like that, you know, which is really well done. And then the love story that happens between Lu Bei and Li Hua as well, a way that plays out, and you know the way she stands behind him. It's you know it's very innocent and gentle. You know when they're in um, the land of Wu in in the castle there, and they're looking at each other before the wedding night across the water. On the yeah, it's, yeah. it's stuff like that that's kind of really genteel. It's got real tenderness in the way it's portrayed. Sure. And I really really like that sort of stuff. It, th- these two films do that sort of depiction and characterization really really well. Um, and again, it helps that the animation's nice and it all kind of works. Yeah, for sure. I think. Li Hua is is a is a nice character, that really. Like I I I don't know I I liked. I think this is the way it it, it clicked along quickly in the in the first film. Mm. Um, it, she her change of heart is very drastic and quick. Yeah. But then it was quick to set up the pace and the and the rhyme and reasoning behind uh, her and Lu Bei's affection, especially when it came to defending the nation of Wu against. Against the advance of Cao Cao. Yeah. But, uh, and then in the second one, like, it's all, I think pacing obviously is a much bigger problem in the second one. Hmm. Like, their relationship is on screen for maybe 10 minutes maximum. Hmm. Uh, and then you get the for- this foreshadowment that she's going to meet her end when he comes face to face with Cao, uh, Cao Cao. Yeah. Uh, after, and then after that altercation, he, uh, her flute that yes, she gave yeah. to she gave to Lube is, is cut in half. Yeah, um, and that's the sort of like that's a nice cutaway, but it's just like uh, you haven't really had a moment to sort of catch up between them two. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it was just so rushed between the whole. We're now the Wu Kingdom is now on intrigue against uh, Lube uh, for reasons unknown. I think in some ways. That's probably actually what might have really happened because in in those things he would have got married, but he'd have been straight off to war. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if you look at certainly within the English history and the, the monarchy, you you tend to see that sometimes people they got married and they, you know they were never at home, they were off fighting sort of thing. Yeah. So I think historically that that actually might have been the type of thing that happened. So yeah, I especially the nature of which they got hitched i guess <laughs> yeah yeah that set piece of the whole build up to the wedding and then the assassination attempt and then the escape aided by kong ming and his strategies uh, you know that's one of the set pieces in this film that's like really really good you know this film is f- full of 
excellent set pieces like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the end battle when Soso's fleet attacks Lube and stuff, you know, all those sort of things are, are, are really, really good. Um, mm. I mean, same on the characters. The one thing, my only kind of sort of a, a bit of a gripe with the characterization is that Lube and Soso meet each other quite often and fight and face off, but never really fight. Yeah, uh, it's they're never like, really they're just was... do the whole bashing of like I go left, you go right. <laughs> yeah, and it's a kind of a conflict that's not resolved in the film, and I kind of not resolved is an understatement. It's just not resolved. It's resolved at all, and you know we'll come. Let's, I mean, let's talk about the ending a little bit. I mean, I don't want to completely give it away, but I remember watching the second one the first time I watched it. I watched, you know, I watched it twice, mm. and I was thinking, looking, thinking, we must be getting to the end of the film now. And um, there's only about two minutes to go, and they haven't really sort of finished anything yet. Yeah. And then it kind of just ends, um, and then you get these title cards, um, and I'm not going to say any more than that. Yeah, it's Um, it's, it's the way... Yeah, carry on, sir. I was going to say, and then you're like, uh, okay, is that it? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, (laughs) again, once again, uh, is it Xiao Xiao? How do you say his name? So-so. So-so. So uh, so is once again like curses yeah. led into a cavern and with <laughs> besotted on on either side and Kong Ming has outsmarted me again. Who could have seen this coming? Um, and then it's just like, right, well I guess we've won, but um, how about you go and finish the job there? Well he doesn't like he's like, oh no, we shouldn't finish the job now that we've like just decimated his forces again. He has to regroup. And Lu Bei's <laughs> like, no, that's not good enough. I'm gonna end this now. And you're like. That's great. That's yeah. good. Finally, after six plus encounters, their their sword fighting is going to come to <laughs> a, a satisfying conclusion, um, and you're just left with more. Oh, right. So what was that about then? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and it's a real shame because I think, you know, they they kind of do a good job until that point, and then it just. <laughs> you might. It's, as well. it's almost like there needed to be a third one to kind of. You don't know the fate of the three kingdoms and at all, at all, and and their story's well. not resolved. It's yeah. It might as well have ended up do 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 do, do credits roll like like yeah, Kong Ming now owns three Starbucks in the in the Wu region. Like it's just like what? And then Guan Yu, some say he still stood there on that mountain today, turned to stone. Like it's like what happened here? <laughs> you know, because. And it frustrated me because there's, during the second film, in terms of where the story's going, in terms of the Three Kingdoms, whereas Sun Quan and So-So are hell-bent on overpowering the other kingdoms to take control, Lu Bei's attitude is, well, actually, we just need to maintain the peace between yeah, the three kingdoms. It. Let's yeah. harmonise it and just maintain the peace and each rule our own bit and, and just live in peace like that. Uh, which is kind of really interesting to see how we would have actually resolved that. Yeah. Um, and, be- and because I haven't read the source material, I don't know, actually, how that story ends. Um, and there you have it, folks. There's no point reading the source material. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not sure how it's how it's supposed to end. Um, and there's so many adaptations of this. I mean, they all probably have a slightly different take and change for dramatic effect and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It was just that was just disappointing 
actually, because it was doing a pretty good job up until about 30 seconds until the end credits rolled. Uh, relatively, yeah. I still don't understand Sun Quan, incestuous brother who inexplicably has AIDS. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you're thinking of um, Zhang Shou. Oh, Zhang Shou, yeah. Sorry, that's right. Yes, who's, um, who's Li Hua's unrequited love, basically. Oh, right, yeah. Zhang Quan is, yeah, is the leader is, of Wu, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And then like, the other guy who with the long hair who inexplicably yeah. has AIDS was a, a former love interest when they grew up together. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah, right. um, he yeah he's got um, coughing blood, therefore he's dying. Anime trope. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like well, nothing nothing about him is really explained. No, I mean other than the fact that he he grew up with Lee Hart, obviously loves her from afar, but could yeah. never because of their circumstances he could never be her husband yeah. or whatever, and yeah. so wants to get revenge on Lu Bei for taking his bride really yeah. um, and it's like but we don't understand his relationship with the with the old prophet no um, who basically even though he's coughed up blood it's then necessary for him to be yeah. uh, an acquaintance of the old prophet going such a waste of talent yeah and everyone's like what what was he is he a swordsman is he a master of the sword what is he was he meant to be what a uh, kong ming is now what, yeah. what's he been denied <laughs> what else is there yeah that's very true it does leave his story yeah. a bit open and talking of the old man the prophet he appears through the first film and then doesn't appear in the second and i don't that feels a bit odd that feels like Does a bit of a miss no he's not in no, it at all and that feels like a bit of a miss that feels like they've missed something out do you know what i mean it um yeah it's because the way he crops up through the first film is quite interesting he it comes up and and, and yeah, i think he, he actually exposition doesn't he he does, and I think he's quite effective through the yeah. first film, and I think some of that was quite missing. And again, because it squeezes a bit more story in the second one, it's like, well, yeah, you know, does he? You know, was there not room for him? But I think it's weird because he, he never really said much. He, he it was just old man says something profound regarding to said situation, and you're like, yep, yeah, that makes sense. And then the second one, it doesn't have him at all. So yeah, I don't know. yeah, I think that was a that felt a bit odd to me because i think he the exposition he offered helped the pacing yeah through the first film you know where he would have been great is if he said something profound or uh something to lead on after um the whole guan yu's uh final stands and the fire absolutely yeah yeah if he he was overlooking that and saying like you know (laughs) So, yeah, so I think the profit was um, an element that was missing from the second film. Mm. Um, one of the other bits that does make me uh, laugh quite a lot are the uh, the main characters, how they can kill um, tens, if not hundreds, of enemy fighters at any uh, any given battle. Yes, throw more bodies at them, it will slow them down. I think that's the, another thing, because Guan Yu, I think, is... That's what really sort of sold me on it. Like, Guan Yu, I think, is a character adapted from that Tale of Three Kingdoms. Yeah. Into Dynasty Warriors, which I loved as a kid. Oh uh, right. And okay. like the whole like horse combat, pole arm, hack and slash, getting like yeah. one guy going through like a thousand warriors. I was like, this is so reminiscent of that. Like yeah. <laughs> it just made it made total sense to me. It's like, I have plot armor until it's my time. <laughs> yeah, because I think I mean interesting you say that, because I do think this film does feel like all these specials do feel like they are of their time. They've got that very 
sort of historical, you know, Hollywood epic kind of feel to them. You know, very if you if you think of it as a three hour film, it's it's kind of you know we keep referring to it, but like that sort of Ben Hurish type thing. You know, it's got all the characters and the story and and everything. So it does have that sort of feel. And Guan Hao, I think, certainly really um, you know embodies that kind of storytelling and and that sort of more you know old Hollywood sort of feel in in characterization and, and everything. Because there's lots of very sort of cinematic shots that again I think feel like they're from another era so Guan Ho when he um when he stood on the the ridge full of arrows of the light sort of fading on him you know has a very cinematic feel when Sun Quan's navy lands and his army come marching through off the ships there's a there's a sort of vertical panning shot of that again it has that sort of you know creates that kind of vast cinematic feel to it Mm. You know, it's got that real sort of cinematic old school feel, which I think films today don't really look or feel like that anymore. You know, it's a a very different era of of sort of movie making, I think. Yeah, you're right. So the only other thing I would kind of would say about it is I think sometimes the music, which is kind of very 80s, doesn't always quite fit with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where did I really, really notice it? I think... You know the meteor shower? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, that's another weird thing about the meteor shower that stood out to me, is when, uh, in the first movie, when... Um, <laughs> in the first movie, uh, where uh, Kong Ming is talking to uh, Liu Bei and is basically just testing his character, he's like, oh, you're riding that mottled horse, that's bad omen. Bad <laughs> yeah. omen will go away, though, once you, uh, once you give it to one of your subordinates, and Liu Bei is like, yeah, right, like I'd ever, like, not take a fate that isn't my own uh and he's like ah oh, i was only having you on i don't believe in all that sort of stuff and then start the second movie oh yeah meet and show us they're a bad omen <laughs> <laughs> it's just like hang on a minute kong bloody ming <laughs> like, you can't not believe it like it's the same it's a bloody same kettle of fish you can't just say oh yeah that horse is bad luck and so is that meteor shower over yeah there. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, actually, you mentioned the start of the second film. I think that's a good scene mm. with the, you know, the skeletal warriors and, you know, yeah, that really caught my interest immediately. Yeah, that's, really that's like a that. that's a very very good opening scene to the second mm. film. Um, Humanizes um, Chow Chow as well. It Chow does, yeah, it, it, because it's like it, he's living with this nightmarish regret. For it's illustrated not only through his uh, his nightmare at the start, but also his um, hearing the flute. That leads mm. into uh, Liu Bei, which yeah, he yeah. visions Yu Jin, where he yeah. has another survivor's guilt, basically. Yes, yeah. Uh, of her taking the bullet for him, or more so, the burning mass of a ship. Yeah, because I think when I mean that's interesting you say survivor's guilt, because I think you know in the second film you get So So's background, his story I think leads to that mm. survivor's guilt that you see, you know, with other, you know, with his interaction with other characters. Yeah. Uh, which is why I think the characterization and the way that the character stories are told it is so good, really. Yeah, um, it's stuff like that which is which is really, really, um, you know, just really well portrayed and really well written, mm. and makes it, uh, you know, makes that bit of the film so really good. I think on the whole, I mean, I think they're pretty as frustrating as the the ending is to it. Yeah, you know, I I do think they're sort of worthwhile watches. Yeah, for sure. 
um you know i would i would recommend people go and see these films mm. you know the, the animation's lovely the characterization's great you know, say so they're pretty well paced you know, i say the second one you know as we said there's a bit more happening but at the end of the day i think it's still a reasonably well paced 90 minutes it kind of doesn't leave enough for the ending but but you know i i would hope you know really kind of wholeheartedly recommend people go and check these out yeah um, yeah i agree be, i mean i think it'd be very interesting you know in some episodes time we'll come round to the trilogy that was made in the early 90s and it'll be very very interesting to see how those three films tell the same story because mm. um, the first one only you know, there's only about six or seven years uh, i think the first one came out in 92 so there's only like four years between the second special here and the first film of that trilogy coming out so that'll be an interesting comparison to make i think mm. so i mean rating them is quite difficult because i mean i think overall i'd kind of give them about a seven six or seven i think they're better than average <laughs> Yeah. They're worth watching. I would recommend going and seeing them, even if you only watch them once. I think, you know, it's quite a good. It feels like a good telling of the story, and you know, so as we've said, there's intrigue and um, and plenty. Yeah, there's going a lot on. going on. There's plenty. The, the, the both of them offer a lot. Yeah. Um. They they've got because of the source material materials high quality. The character relationships are a, a sound. Uh, and the anime does a very good job adapting that and then summarizing it in a relatively mm. short amount of time. It doesn't necessarily end it or no. summarize it, but like the, I feel like the journey's worth the endeavor. Yes, I think that's, I think that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, definitely the the journey to that ending, however it ends, is is very enjoyable. very worthwhile that's, and enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'd say I probably seven out of ten for both of them, maybe a six out of ten out for the last one. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where I'm leaning. I was kind of leaning a little bit, maybe to an eight or something. Yeah. For the first, um, I think it ultimately is slightly the better pace film. Yeah. Um, sure. And, and for the, for the first part, ends you know with a very satisfactory ending at the at the end of those ninety minutes. Mm. Um, and then again leads, and then the second one picks up very well, continues the story very well, almost like there was no gap between them. Yeah, um, but then just as we say, doesn't really just kind of give you the that sort of finality that you kind of expect in something like this. Yeah. Um, even if it did a bit more with title cards, it just it doesn't really tell you how the story ends. So, yeah, I mean, I was kind of like six to eight, six and eight, seven overall, six overall for both of them. Uh, mm. That's that's where I am with it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Side note. I've just looked up here Dynasty Warriors playable characters section. Yeah. Uh, the playable characters uh, that immediately show up are Lubu, Dao Chan, Xu, Cha- uh, So Guan Yu, Zhao Yong, Wei, Wang Yi, Lu Bei, Zhang Fei, Jin, and Zushu. They're all there. <laughs> They're all there. Oh, there you go then. So yeah. yeah. I mean, They're I, I mean, I, I never played those games, so um, no? I wasn't really aware of. Uh... Loved them. Loved them. I did. Yeah, I do remember you playing them, but I, I never really got got into them so yeah i didn't appreciate so there you go so at the start of the you know as part of the introduction we talked about tv film manga and anime and video games as well so you know it's every type of media's uh told this story one way or another it would it would appear so and what a story it is and what a story it is so um it's interesting actually the fascination with it yeah but i think it's just so consumable 
Yeah, right? it's it's a very it's a very tangible concept and mm. very believable for the era. Yeah, uh, yeah. And like you know, there's all the characters and their and their beliefs. So it's it's just it just fits. It does like yeah. there's not there's not much to question there. It all just thematically would make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And it's just well written. Yeah. Mm. Again, probably it's got. I mean, it'd be interesting to read it without those characters because obviously there was a lot in the book with the characterization that allows all these adaptations to build upon. Yeah. Because, you know, the story of these characters that are portrayed in this, you know, there is a lot of story there and mm. a lot happens to them. So, you know, there must have been an awful lot in the source material that, that allowed you to adapt it and, and portray that on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting to see what happens with the IP in the future. Hmm. Yeah, I can. It's one of those things. I mean, the, the, the book's coming up to its sort of um, centenary anniversary yeah, of its. Yeah. Jeez. You know, only sort of four or five years away from it, so. Um, mm. So it's you know it's <laughs> its longevity is uh, quite astonishing, really. So. Okay, so I think that wraps up our review of the uh, two Sangakushi TV specials from the mid-80s. Next time, we're going to look at a couple of really violent action OVAs. Uh, we're going to review Guyver Out of Control and Blue Sonnet, which I think will be quite an interesting reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they're quite entertaining, quite controversial as well, so something a bit different next time it'll be a um, good one that'll be an interesting one I'm very interested to see what you think of those as well Lewis <laughs> yeah I think well I won't say any more but you know we'll have to wait and see we'll all this and, and more yeah. next time on the Retro <laughs> Anime Podcast <laughs> so where you find us you can find us on Twitter at Retro Anime you can find us on SoundCloud iTunes Spotify Tune in, Stitcher Radio, Overcast FM, Podbean, Castbox, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, and most podcast hosting services. You can find us on those by searching for Retro Anime Podcast. We have a website, RetroAnimePodcast.com. You can email me at Ian at RetroAnimePodcast.com. And I am also uh, quite active on the Anime UK News Forums, where my username is Organ. So... Something completely different next time. Mm. I say they'll be quite interesting to talk about. And on that note, we'll yes. say goodbye there. I believe you. But until next time. Goodbye. Farewell. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.